turned around, looked at Joe Klein, and I blew him the kiss of death. And you could see him on the bench turning red. I just stayed at the bench the whole time. My teammates jumping all on me. I really couldn't feel them. I just kept staring at the bench. My teammates are jumping on me and going crazy. And I'm just stuck in the moment. I don't feel them. I'm just looking locked in on Joe Clyde, him turning red as an apple. It was just a it was just a great moment. It was just a great moment. And you are in Australia right now. You're talking NBA basketball. You're talking great teams. You're talking great individual players. Takes it off and there's number 23. And of course, Johnny goes nuts. So we're all getting serious pumps thinking about it now. I just tried to go out there and play my game. I have no idea what you're talking about, Adam. I don't like anybody. I'm not a people person. Strand, can you make the pass? Yes. Christian, can you catch the ball? Yes. All the stars were aligned and all the muscles fired at the right time. And I was able to get off the ground and throw one down. I was saving that as a surprise for you. And now, introducing your host for In All Airness, Adam Ryan. Welcome to episode 54. Thanks for joining me. Stay up to date with my monthly email newsletter. You'll receive exclusive details on upcoming podcast episodes, future high-profile guests to appear on the show, and much more. Simply visit inallairness.com slash news. The great guests continue. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome three-time NBA champion, Mario Alley. We cover everything from his high school days, where he was teammates with the future Basketball Hall of Famer, through to his standout run with American International College, leading his Division II team to the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament. We chat about Mario's extensive international travels, where he played professionally overseas, and also his time spent back in the developmental leagues in the USA. Of course, we dive deep into his NBA career and relive his famous kiss of death from the 1995 NBA playoffs. All this plus a lot more, including his future coaching ambitions. I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode. Mario is a great guy, and it was a real pleasure to chat with him. Towards the end of this episode, I'll share some more great podcast reviews that have been received. You can add yours by visiting inallairness.com slash review. Show notes for this episode are at inallairness.com slash 54. Now, onto the show. My guest today is an 11-year NBA veteran. His journey from Power Memorial High School in New York to three-time NBA champion is one of the great examples of determination and achievement. Most recently, he's worked as an assistant coach in the NBA for the best part of 10 years. Mario Ali, thanks for joining me. Adam, thanks for having me and great talking to you. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Now, whilst researching for our chat, I learned that you were actually teammates with future Hall of Famer Chris Mullen many years before you actually joined the Golden State Warriors. Can you please talk about your high school days and playing for New York's Power Memorial? It was fantastic, Adam. I had the pleasure of meeting Chris my freshman year. It was a funny story. He made the freshman team. I got cut. And I remember Adam taking the train and crying the whole way home until my sister just lit my butt up and said, (laughs) stop whining, be a man, and do something about it. And those words really resonated to me. I ended up growing three or four inches that summer. And then the following year, I ended up making the JV team 
I was a lot more tougher. I uh, had the chance to finally play with Chris, even though we were friends at Power Memorial. Uh, got to play our, our our tenth grade year together, which is called our sophomore year, mm-hmm. and we went twenty five and zero. We didn't lose a game. We we're a fantastic team, and we we're probably the best tenth grade team in the city at that time. Fantastic, yeah. There's some great memories, no doubt. There. Uh, at what sort of age did you begin playing the game of basketball before you actually started to become a, a fantastic player, uh, going from your high school years and beyond? I sort of started late, Adam, but I really got the itch that 10th grade. Uh, we had a lot of success, like I mentioned. And what really opened things up for me, unfortunately, was Chris Mullen transferring mm-hmm. his junior year in high school. His dad uh, and the coach really didn't get along. So once Chris transferred to Zaverian, uh, that sort of opened the door for me at Powell Memorial and enabled me to become one of the best players in New York City along with Chris really didn't focus on my books. You know, that was my one stickler growing up. Really didn't take the books seriously. I was a division one player, one of the best players in the city. But here me not focusing on my books. That's why I end up going to a division two college, American International in Springfield, Massachusetts. That leads me nicely into that next uh, line of uh, discussion. You attended American International and you had a stellar run there with their division two team. And you won your conference's Rookie of the Year award. You were named the Player of the Year three times and led the Division Two team to the Elite Eight in the 1985 NCAA tournament. So you've got some outstanding achievements there. Uh, do you mind maybe just talking a little bit more about some of those great things that you did whilst you were with American International? It was fantastic, Adam. It was it was a young man really frustrated. Uh, had two weeks left before I made a college decision. And my mom and dad were on my butt. So AIC had have a had a scholarship for me like two weeks before school started. Uh, and um, I said, hey, I got to make a move. I don't like junior college. I don't like prep school. So let me go. Let me give this a whirl. I did. It turned out fantastic. Great four years. I was a three-time All-American. Played against Manu Bow. I was one of the first guys, God bless his soul, to dunk on Manu Bow. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> he went to Bridgeport University, and we played him. I was one of the first guys to go down the lane and really dunk on a guy 7-7. I was, I was pretty proud of myself. <laughs> and uh, just had a great run, you know. Like I said, I was a three-time All-American my senior year. I had a fantastic year. We were in the final eight, had a chance to go to the final four. You know, I think I got double or triple team. I remember the play like yesterday. I passed it to my teammate, and I think he missed the layup. And I think we lost by one or two. That was sort of a pivotal part of the game. So we lost and ended up going to the final four. What was fantastic for me was this past February 7th, they retired my jersey. Um, I'm the only guy in AIC history. And maybe a hundred and some years, they said, that ever got his uh, jersey retired. And it was great seeing my old teammates. I'm looking at my jersey right now. They just shipped it to me. And it's a fantastic honor getting your jersey retired. Oh, without doubt. And that's uh, excellent. I was about to ask you about that because I saw a few days ago on Twitter that you had a photo of that framed jersey. It looks fantastic. Yes, it was very cold and snowy up there. Got to see a lot of my old teammates. Uh, my college coach, Jim Powell, is still one of my best friends to this day. He's a head scout for the Indiana Pacers. 
So he took time out of his busy schedule to attend. So my boys got a chance to go with me and experience it with me. My wife was there. My daughter couldn't go because she had a volleyball tournament, but it was fantastic just seeing my old teammates. You know, after the event, we went to a to a local bar. You know, we drank some beers and just chit chatted about the old days, and it was it was just an amazing weekend. Oh, that sounds fantastic! And I know that also. Um, I think it was in two thousand and five. You were also inducted into the Hall of Fame for AIC as well. So, really, one of the absolute standout. Uh, graduates from the whole program so congratulations on that as well thanks a lot adam i made sure that i knew i was a division one player Mm -hmm. but i said i'm gonna make the best out of this situation and i think i did you know being three-time player of the year in that conference being a three-time all-american you know i felt I, i i gave it all i had when i was at aic i wouldn't have changed that experience for anything it was the only thing that was really frustrating was watching my buddies on TV playing, you know, in Syracuse and St. John's playing at these big schools. Then here I am only getting two pair of sneakers for the whole season, <laughs> eating box lunches on the buses, <laughs> you know, traveling to a game. Those things really made me the person I am today. That's why when I took the court as an NBA player, I had an edge to me because I felt I had to prove myself every night. That's uh, interesting in itself. And after the Milwaukee Bucks selected you with pick 160 in the 85 NBA draft, your first NBA game actually didn't happen until late 1990. It was December 28th of 1990, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But the period in between when you were picked by the Bucks in the draft and your first NBA game, it really is incredible. You must have racked up incredible amount of frequent flyer miles. You played internationally in Ireland, uh, Argentina, Portugal, a few other places too that I'm probably forgetting. And then you also had trips back home to play in the USBL, the WBL, and the Continental Basketball Association where you actually were an all-star. How was that experience, that sort of period of time between the draft and when you made it to the NBA? It was an amazing time for me, Adam. Um, when I got drafted by the Bucks, uh, I was a small forward slash foreman in college. Mm-hmm. So it was funny when I got to the Bucks. I was the second shortest guy in camp. That's probably the only time I was happy to get cut because <laughs> being at a Division Two level, they really didn't prepare you for the NBA. I remember when my mom came to the park across the street from my house in New York and said, honey, you got drafted. You got drafted. I was excited, you know, but I didn't know really what to expect. So when I got there, I never knew about two practices a day for three hours. So my first day at camp, Adam, I was in the hot tub for maybe an hour that night because I was so (laughs) sore. I could barely move. I went from playing a power slash small forward in college to being a point guard in training camp. So (laughs) it was just a whirlwind for me. But that's probably the only time in my life I was happy to get cut because I knew I needed a lot of work. And that's when my European travels started. I was playing with a buddy of mine who was scrimmaging colleges because I really wasn't doing nothing at the time. So there was a team from Ireland scouting. And um, I think I had 40 points or 30-something that game against the college. And the team from Ireland said, hey, would you like to come over and play in Ireland? You know, the money's not too good, but there's good folks. You know, the competition is decent. I said, why not? I said, let me work on my game, see the world, get better. And then when I feel I'm ready to make the run at the NBA, 
I'm going to do it. But Ireland, probably the most fun I ever had in my life. The people over there were tremendous. I uh, had a great time. A lot of points were being scored over there. I think I averaged 36, but the guy who was leading in scoring averaged 39. Wow. I remember once winning the, the country cup, which was a big thing. I think I was player of the game. I had 42 that game. And I think we ended up losing in the finals. So I was over there six months. Amazing experience. Had a great time. The people treated me great. And, uh, you know, if you want a good pint of Guinness, Dublin, Ireland is the place to go. (laughs) (laughs) Then my next stop was the USBL Miami when I got back to the States. Mm -hmm. Played with World B Free. Uh, He was Lloyd Free back in the day, but he was World B Free. Played for a great coach named Sam Worthen, who was a great point guard at Marquette. Had a great experience. I just wanted to keep playing and working on my game. So I went to the USBL when I got back from Ireland. We ended up winning that championship. Then after that, I think I bolted to Argentina, Santa Fe, uh, for a couple months. Um, had a great time down there, but I had to leave early because I had things going on at home. So it was unfortunate I had to cut that season short. Uh, and then I started my first year in Portugal, going to a country north of Portugal called Ovar. It was a very shocking experience for me because I'm, I'm a kid coming from New York City where we have 8 million people going to a small town like Ovar where they have one street light in town. <laughs> the town comes at 8 o'clock. When I wake up in the morning, I live by the beach. I see women walking cows on the side of the street. <laughs> <laughs> it was scary trying to get a haircut. Me and my buddy Dwayne Johnson, who was my teammate, uh, we got with the barber in Portugal, and we taught him how to cut our hair. <laughs> but it was probably the best two years of my life being in that time. It was it was just such an amazing time. Oh, that's great. And I believe your final stay in one of the developmental leagues was with the CBA. You were playing with the Albany Patroons. Yes. I think around that time, George Carl or Terry Stotts, maybe both, were actually associated with the team as well. Uh, do you mind just talking a little bit about that experience? Uh, just an amazing experience. Uh, my first year, I played with Gerald Oliver. You know, people didn't know about me when I came. A buddy of mine mentioned to Coach Oliver, I got this guy named Mario Ellie. He wants to try for the team. I said, who's this guy? Should I give him a chance? I got other guys I want to give a try. But once he saw the way I play, I made the team. Uh, one of our starters got hurt. He put me in the starting lineup, and the guy never got his spot back. So my first year in the CBA, I felt I should have been called up, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. But I felt I was close. Then here comes George Carl and Terry Stotts into the fold. Uh, George Carl saw something in me that uh, nobody else did. He says, son, I think you have NBA potential. And I remember that year having a fantastic year, um, averaging 25 points a game. Probably would have led the CBA in scoring, but our team was so dominant that year, uh, I would sit out a lot of the fourth quarters. Okay. I think our record ended up being 50 and 6 that year. Maybe four or five guys got called up by the league. But uh, I remember we had a break in December. So I went home to visit my mom, and then I got a call from uh, from Philadelphia. The 76ers called, so I was just on cloud nine. So uh, I took a bus or a train, I remember, to Philly, uh, signed my contract with Gene Shue, and the team was on a West Coast trip at the time. 
I was just fired up, you know, for my first NBA game. I take a flight from Philly to Atlanta to catch a connected flight to Phoenix, but there's fog in Atlanta, so the, the flight was canceled. I'm just going crazy. I'm <laughs> like, man, how am I going to tell my coach my first NBA game? And the funniest coincidence, I don't know how it happened. I get the number to the hotel. I call the hotel. And of all people, Charles Barkley answers the phone. <laughs> Out of anybody that answered the phone, Charles Barkley answered the phone. <laughs> hey, Mr. Barkley, my name is Mario Ellie. I just got signed to the Sixers. My flight's been canceled. I'm going to catch an early flight in the morning. He said, congratulations, buddy. Glad you made it on the team. I'll tell coach you're going to be late. You'll be fine. Glad you're on the team. That just made my night. I'm like, man, I talked to one of the greatest players who happened to be my teammate down the line. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Charles was just fantastic. I remember finally get to shoot around. I get to meet Manu Bowl, Jason Williams, you know, Charles Barkley. So I get to meet all these guys. And uh, I remember our first game in Phoenix. Charles Barkley had 45 points. He was amazing. <laughs> but Phoenix kicked our butt. But I got in, I think, a little scrub time at the end, and it just felt great, you know, to be on the floor and to eventually put on an NBA jersey. That's a great story, too, about Sir Charles, of course. But all those uh, countless miles that you traveled and the perseverance paid off, and you finally had your opportunity to play at NBA level, which is absolutely fantastic. And then in February of 1991, you signed another 10-day contract initially with the Golden State Warriors that became a contract with the team through the end of the 1992 season. How did you find that adjustment to the NBA, and did it help being a 27-year-old rookie? It sure did, Adam. I got into the league mature, but just to finish a little bit to that story, um, once I left Philly, they made a trade. I got cut. My confidence level was so high because I really dominated a lot of their players in practice. So my first two CBA games when I got cut from Philly, I had 30 and 36 off the bench. Oh, nice. So I knew it was a matter of time before I got another call, and that call came from Don Nelson. So I remember flying to Denver, meeting with him in his hotel room, and he just laid it on the line for me. Just like Eminem, lose yourself. You got one shot. And he told me, Mario, you're going to play 25 minutes tonight. Um, I'm going to see what you got. And you need to show me what you got. And uh, when he told me that, I really couldn't sleep before the game. Once I hit that floor, Adam, I just felt something just hit me. I had 14 points, 11 rebounds. Granted, we lost, but I had a fantastic showing. Fly back to, uh, to the Bay Area, uh, to Oakland the next day, and sign for the rest of that year and next year. And that's how Mario Elliott's career started in the NBA. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful to hear. And obviously, it gave you the confidence to know, and you already knew, of course, in yourself that you could play at that level. So that's that's fantastic. Now, on, on those Warriors teams, you played with the famed run TMC of Tim Hardaway, Mitch Richmond, and Chris Mullen. So you're reunited again there with Chris. And in the 1992 season with Mitch Richmond in Sacramento, Sarunas Marshallonis had a career year and Billy Owens was a very impressive rookie. Do you have a favorite memory or, or moments from that time with the Golden State Warriors, Mario? Well, there's so many, Adam. But the, the one I do remember um, is my first year with the team. 
We were a seventh seed. We beat San Antonio, who was a two seed. And I started at the four spot. We started four small guys and either Tom Tobert or Jim Peterson. So here I am, 6'5", maybe 218 at the time, wet, <laughs> having to go against Terry Cummins, who's a 6'9", maybe 265 power forward, <laughs> and me having to guard him. But it ended up working out because we ended up winning that series, and we went on to play the Lakers the second round. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a lot of success against the Lakers, but uh, I remember game one, I had 21, you know, so my confidence levels was very high. We lost game one, but game two, um, it was a one-point game. We were down. Uh, I remember somebody took a shot. Worthy took a shot from the Lakers, and I got the rebound, and Eldon Campbell fouled me, and we were in the penalty. So here comes a 27-year-old rookie at the fabulous forum against Magic, Worthy, on the line with two free throws to help his team win. And I end up making both of those free throws, and we end up winning the game. And that's the only game we won that series. <laughs> but that's what I do remember, being in a forum, competing against Magic, the great Lakers, and uh, helping our team you know, win by hitting those two big free throws. It was fantastic. Yeah, that's a great story there. And I think uh, your career free throw shooting something like 85 86%, so you're always a really – uh, very reliable from the line, but particularly to do that as a rookie in the forum, that's yeah, that's a fantastic memory to have uh, going forward, no doubt. Now, you signed as a free agent with the Trailblazers before the 1993 NBA season, and that Portland team was a veteran team with guys like um, Clyde Drexler, Terry Porter, Cliff Robinson, and the late Kevin Duckworth and Jerome Kersey, sadly. Now, you guys went 51-31, and 31 in that season, and then you were eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. How was that season in Portland? I think it was a good season. Uh, I was very excited to sign my first million-dollar deal, (laughs) you know. No doubt, no doubt. It was fantastic, but uh, just a great team. I remember, like you mentioned, a great veteran bunch who just been to two previous finals. Like you mentioned, Jerome Kersey and Duckworth were good friends of mine, and uh it's sad to see both of those guys not around, as you mentioned. But uh, great team, great player. We just ran into a bus or that Spurs team, uh, Sean Elliott, David Robinson. Them guys were good. So they sort of knocked us off in the first round. I was very disappointed because I felt we had a good enough team to make a deeper run. But uh, uh, we got uh, bumped out in the first round by the Spurs. I remember driving down to San Francisco. Uh, right before I was coming home to New York to visit my mom. I went down to San Francisco with a buddy of mine. Then when I drove back to Portland, I was leaving out in the next day or two, and my phone rings. It's the Blazers, and they told me I got traded to the Rockets. So I was very excited about that. I'm like, I'm going to go get the chance to play with Akeem Olajuwon. (laughs) Very fired up about that trade and you know, getting traded to Houston and being a friend of Vernon Maxwell already. He sort of took me on in. When I got to Houston, man, I felt that team was special when we started training camp. Yeah. So you mentioned Vernon Maxwell there, and he's obviously one of the more intriguing characters and a fantastic player. Uh, and you play with some other unique guys. Um, Sam Cassell comes to mind. Um, you know, Robert Ory, Charles Barkley, of course, as you mentioned, you were teammates later on in about 1998 or thereabouts. Uh, do you mind just chatting about some of those 
guys that you play with and the relationships that you might have developed off court that obviously helped you play when you were on court? We're just a tight-knit group. Uh, they just celebrated our 20-year anniversary of winning the championship last week. So I got a chance to see a lot of the guys I haven't seen in years. It was fantastic seeing Otis. Haven't seen Vernon in a while. I saw Vernon, Charles Jones. I mean, it was just an electric night. But uh, let me start with Sam Cassell, who's still a great friend, who's still one of my best friends, who's an excellent coach, who should be a head coach. Just a kid from the streets of Baltimore, as tough as you can find him. Uh, we don't win the first championship without him. I mean, Sam was just an eager rookie. Uh, a lot of people don't know that Scotty Brooks was uh, Kenny Smith's backup point guard. But me and Vernon sort of raised Sam. Sam was just like a wild pit bull ready to get loose. <laughs> like, guys, when I'm going to play, I'm ready to play. When I'm going to play. And uh, he just had to wait patiently. But when he got his opportunity, I felt bad for Scotty because you never heard of Scott Brooks again. <laughs> Once Sam got into our rotation, our lineup, it was hard to take him out. No disrespect to Scotty. I love him too. But Sam, it was just something about Sam's toughness and aggression that really fit in with our ball club. I remember being in New York. It was a 1-1 tied up in the finals. And we're in a big game three. And we throw the young rookie Sam Cassell out there. And he makes the biggest three, I think, in that playoffs for us. And uh, we win that game three, thank God, in New York, because we lost the other two in New York. But that sort of set us up, you know, for coming home and winning games six and seven. Just a fierce competitor. A great kid. Wasn't scared of the moment. Vernon Maxwell, one of the most cold-blooded game-tying or game-winning shooters I've ever been around. Uh, Vernon can go 0 for 15. But he always thought the next shot was going in. What was the great thing about Vernon? He guarded the best two guard, competed, played hurt. One of the toughest hombres. That's one guy I would love to be in the bunker with is that guy. Just competed every night, whether he was hurt or not. Uh, brought the energy for us. Was also pivotal in that big run in our finals when he had that big game three in Phoenix where we're down two zip going to Phoenix. He had a 35 points, and that sort of ignited us for that uh, 94 championship run. One more you say about Big Shot Rob. I mean, this guy just makes big shots wherever he goes. Rob is so nonchalant. Uh, remember a big game in San Antonio in 95. Robert doesn't score the whole game. The whole game. It's the last minute of the game. We swing it to Robert. Nobody's around Robert. Robert looks around and says, hey, nobody's guarding him. He takes one dribble. And shoots a mid-range, 18-footer, goes all net. <laughs> and just win game one. And that's how Robert was. Robert ain't never show up to the game got exciting. And you see his history of big shots. Otis Thorpe, just a fantastic power forward in our first championship. Uh, very quiet guy, big-time golfer. Uh, Tim Bro, Clyde Drexler, Chris Jett. Just fantastic teammates. Of course, the great Akeem Olajuwon. In my five years, really didn't see a lot of Olajuwon. He was a very religious man, always was in his room, always getting his rest. Uh, while us young, wild ball players were out <laughs> hitting the streets, but we <laughs> always could count on 34 getting his rest. Just an amazing talent. I don't think he gets enough credit for how great he was. This dude was a fantastic 
fantastic center and player. Uh, I'm thinking he's up there with Kareem. Him and Kareem are my two favorite centers of all time. And who else from our team? Chucky Brown, the Wolfpack from North Carolina State, the undersized foreman who played on a lot of teams but was big part of our Rocket team. Charles Jones, the defensive specialist who would back up Dream, but just a fantastic team. Kenny Smith doing TV now, just uh, from New York, my fellow New Yorker from Queens. Uh, play with Michael Jordan in the backcourt. Just had great personality, great leader at the point guard position. And uh, can't forget the, the maestro of everything, Rudy Tomjanovich. Uh, it was great listening to him talk last week to the team and on that luncheon. He got real emotional, and uh, I got emotional because uh, it was just a great group of individuals that we had, man. It was just a just a great group. We had a bunker mentality. We enjoyed being around each other. And we just had a swagger and an arrogance about ourselves when we were on the court. We just would believe in each other and we just played for each other. Oh, well, it was definitely well learned. And thank you for going into some depth there about some of your past teammates and coaches. That's really great to hear that sort of stuff as well. Um, I might just jump forward to the 95 NBA season. You mentioned that you played five seasons with the Rockets. And of course, you won the two NBA championships, which uh, is an incredible feat in itself. You took on the uh, Orlando Magic in the 95 finals, and it was a comprehensive sweep. And we'll get to those finals shortly, but it'd be remiss of me not to mention this moment that I'm sure you're asked about nearly every time you chat with anybody about old school basketball. It was the do or die uh, game seven of the Western Conference semis. And then you hit one of the biggest shots in NBA playoff history, which is affectionately known as the kiss of death. Can you please elaborate a little bit about what actually led to that show of emotion and help you seal that Game 7 victory? Well, as you know, us at Phoenix have history. Mm-hmm. Two years in a row going to Game 7. I didn't talk about the first year. We gave up two 20-point leads in the fourth quarter at our home floor and lost both of them. But uh, we just had battles with those guys. We just had battles with those guys. And in 95, it started in Game 5. Me and Joe Klein were blowing kisses. So every time I would make a shot, I would blow a kiss at him. Every time he make a shot, he'll blow a kiss at me. So, of course, you know who got the last and biggest kiss of them all. So. <laughs> Especially going through in the playoffs, a draining seven-game series when you know a team, we know each other. We're just going back and forth. Kevin Johnson with the big 47-point game. It was just like haymakers after haymakers. So I remember when Kevin Johnson missed that free throw, it was a tie game. We got into the timeout. Coach wanted to take it the full length of the court. We take it out. Danny Ains regard me. So he leaves to go double in the backcourt. So Kenny does a great job of spotting Robert at half court. Mm-hmm. And Danny Ains is way in the backcourt doubling to Kenny. He showed me no respect. So Robert got the ball at half court and saw me open in the far corner. So Robert fires the ball. I had to jump up and catch it. So I'm in front of our bench, and I see Danny Shays. It's him and Elijah one underneath. He's like, shoot, I ain't leaving Elijah one. <laughs> I'll let Marielle shoot. So I'm a set shooter. So, you know, I set my feet. When he saw me cocking the shot, he said, hey, this dude's going to shoot. <laughs> so it's too late. And, you know, as a shooter, man, once you let it go, you know it feels great. And that ball just felt fantastic leaving my hands. And whenever you want to hit a game-winning shot, you don't want it rattling around the rim. You want it going on net. It hit nothing but the bottom of the net, turned around, looked at Joe Klein, 
and I blew him the kiss of death. And you could see him on the bench turning red. I just stared at the bench the whole time. My teammates jumping all on me. I really couldn't feel them. I just kept staring at the bench. My teammates are jumping on me and going crazy. And I'm just stuck in the moment. I don't feel them. I'm just looking, locked in on Joe Clyde, him turning red as an apple. It was just a, it was just a great moment. It was just a great moment. Uh, I'll just get goosebumps over just hearing about it from yourself right now, you know, 20 years later. So I can only imagine how great it must have been to be the man that hit the shot, then deliver the kiss of death, and then obviously all your teammates swarming around to celebrate as well uh, as you held on to win the game. So that's that's fantastic. Now, in the 1995 NBA Finals, as I mentioned, you guys swept the Orlando Magic. You stunned them in game one in Orlando in overtime, and then you took the home court advantage, and the rest is history. In the uh, clinching game four, you had a, a fantastic performance, 22 points. You hit four three-pointers, and you also had four steals. And for the series, you started every game, and you averaged more than 16 points, four rebounds, three assists, and two steals. So a great effort. Reflecting back on that second title, uh, what thoughts come to mind, Mario? Just a tough group, man. Just a tough group. Uh just want to take you back early in that playoff, Adam. Uh, we, we were playing Utah in an elimination game. And uh, it was the fourth quarter. And we were down in the middle of the fourth. And uh, I remember Clyde and Dream coming to the huddle and saying, guys, we have to make our move right now. We were all looking at the clock. So we sort of knew it was running out. Time was running out. Man, we just came out with guns blazing. We shut them down. Dream hits a shot, fadeaway corner shot that hits the corner of the backboard and goes in. And I knew at that time, I said, hey, we're destined to repeat. We got down early, like you mentioned, against Orlando. Didn't panic. We were down early. Very young, good team. We're down 22. But the biggest part of that game was Clyde Drexler had a great maybe 8 or 10-0 run by himself, which cut the lead to 11. And we had momentum going into the locker room. And then after that, Kenny Smith just caught fire, hitting seven threes that game. And also a little luck was on our side. Nick Anderson, up three, misses four free throws in a row. Felt bad for him. Tremendous player. Had a great game at the time. And he missed four big free throws. Then Kenny Smith hits the tie-in three, and we win in overtime. Once we won that first game, thought we felt confident. But we came in the shoot-around game to a little relaxed, and Rudy T was pissed. Rudy T let us have it. He cussed us out. He said, you guys act like y'all won a championship already. Y'all ain't did nothing. So he really let us have it, and we responded by putting a whooping on the Magic that night by 20 and uh, going home on a, just, just on a high, man. The fans waiting for us at the airport with signs. I mean, it was, it was just it was amazing. Fantastic memories. Um, now, we'll jump forward a little bit. In 1999, prior to the lockout shortened season, you signed as a free agent with the San Antonio Spurs, and you'd go on to win your third NBA championship that season, defeating the New York Knicks in five games. Now, you also started every game of the playoffs, and you were an important player on the San Antonio squad, led by future Hall of Famer, a young Tim Duncan, and of course, the Admiral David Robinson, who already is a Hall of Famer as we speak. How was that time in San Antonio, and, and what memories do you have of that run to your third title in 1999? 
great memories. It was sad to leave Houston, but you know, I'd understand the NBA's a business. Good friend of mine, Avery Johnson's like, hey, come on down here with us. And um, when I went down there, I wasn't starting at the time. I think Jaron Jackson was starting. And I told him, I said, give me two or three weeks. <laughs> and that'll be my job. Yeah. So we struggled early that year. It was a pivotal part of the season. And Coach Popovich said, hey, we're making a change in the lineup. We started Mario. So uh, they started me. I remember there was a game in Houston. Uh, Popovich had a meeting with the starting five. And things weren't looking too good for him. And uh, we all met, and we decided, hey, it's time to step up. And I think we went on a 15. I don't know. We went on an amazing run after that. We ended up uh, being number one in the West, uh, won a lot of big games. The big thing was David sort of passed the torch to Tim. So Tim sort of took charge of the team, and Dave was a great support system. And uh, Tim just went on and played fantastic basketball. I mean, beating up on Carl Malone, Garnett. I mean, he just had an amazing run. Um, played a tough Laker team with Shaq and Kobe. Uh, we dominated them in four games. Played a great Portland team with Rasheed Wallace, Damon Stoudemire, Jimmy Jackson, Arvita Sabonis. Went up sweeping them. But I think the pivotal game was game two. When Sean Elliott hit the Memorial Day Miracle, when we were down 20 to the Blazers, came all the way back. It was a two-point game. Um, I was the guy taking the ball out of bounds. We ran a play for Sean. So Stacey Augman, the guy guarding me, sort of stepped out of bounds. We ran the play, but the guy stepped out of bounds and got a delayed game. So Stacey Augman said, okay, I know the play now. I know where you're going with the ball. We ran that same play i may have zipped a hundred mile hour fastball to sean so stacy goes for the steal misses it sean is tiptoeing on the baseline in the corner here comes rasheed wallace on a closeout i may have say if rasheed wallace had long fingernails he would have blocked it that's how close he came to blocking <laughs> that three sean elliott shoots right over him hits the three the Alamo Dome just went nuts. It may have been 30,000 people up in there. The Alamo Dome just went insane. The team went insane. I mean, that moment there, we went up two zip. We ended up having a defensive stop. And that momentum just carried us, man, all the way through to the finals. Just another phenomenal moment. And, uh, yeah, it's great to hear you relay these sort of stories as if they were yesterday, effectively. So it's... um. Obviously, they stick in the memory for a long, long time. One more thing about that Spurs team, for what it's worth, um, Australia's own Andrew Gaze was a, a member of that night. Hey, my buddy. <laughs> Can you quickly talk about Andrew and uh, having a chance to play alongside Australia's greatest player in terms of what he did here in, in Australia? He was unbelievable, but he had his chance to go over and uh, have a second stint at the NBA and, and won a title in 99 as well. Uh, Andrew was just a great teammate, man. We loved him. Great shooter, <laughs> but we knew he was slow as molasses. He needed time <laughs> to get that, that shot off. So we always give a mess about that. But just a great teammate. I knew about him because I grew up in New York. He played with my buddy Mark Ryan at Seton Hall. He was a great Seton Hall player. Definitely. Uh, I think he played under P.J. Carlissimo, right? That's correct, yep. P.J. was my coach in Brooklyn, just a great man. But Andrew was just a – I remember him being an Australian legend. And I remember this guy could shoot. 
You know, I mean, he was just a great, great shooter. Just a funny dude. Had us laughing all the time. Just, just a fantastic teammate. It was so unfortunate he was playing behind me, Jaron Jackson, Steve Kerr. <laughs> you know, he's playing behind some pretty good darn players, but never complained. Always came to work, ready to work. Played hard, practiced hard. Fabulous, fabulous teammate. Fabulous teammate. And if you see him, tell him I said hello also if you see him down there. Oh, I definitely will if I have a chance to, to see Andrew in person for sure. He's been a previous guest on the podcast as well. So, yeah, one of Australia's greatest ever sportsmen for sure. Now, just a couple more quick questions before we wrap it up. I really appreciate the time you've given me today, Mario. Thank you again. You signed as a free agent with Phoenix prior to the 2001 NBA season, and that would be your last in the league. You played well over 700 career NBA games. You're a three-time NBA champion. Is there a particular moment or a victory from your playing days that stands out above the rest? You know what, Adam, that's a great question. There's one thing that really stands out to me, and it's in 1997 being voted one of the top 10 Rockets of the last 30 years. It was a very humbling night for me, standing next to some of the greatest players to ever play the game. Here's a guy like myself. I'm standing next to Elvin Hayes, Charles Barkley, Akeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, Rudy Tomjanovich, Calvin Murphy. These guys are Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame, and top 50 greatest players on that list. And here's a guy who averaged a career eight or nine points that the fans appreciated me enough to vote me on that team with that group. Myself and Sam Cassell were the guys who are now Hall of Famers or uh, all-star players to be voted on that team. To be voted and to stand next to those guys I mean, that probably was the most humblingest night I ever had. And my wife to this day told me, I have a picture. She said, look at your face. You just like shocked and in awe who's around you. That had to be the greatest moment of my life for a role player. I'm proud to say I was a role player. I played with some tremendous players. And you can make a good living being a role player in the NBA, believe me. Just to be part of that group. And I look at that picture all the time. And I said, how in the hell am I with these group of guys? <laughs> you know? And that's probably was the number one thing I, that stood out in my NBA career. Granted, the championships were great. Mm -hmm. All that stuff were great. But for people to appreciate what you do, you know, that meant a lot. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that too. I appreciate it. Post-retirement, you've worked as an assistant coach with teams such as the Spurs, uh, Warriors, the Mavs, the Kings, and most recently the New Jersey Nets, now Brooklyn Nets. The past couple of seasons, I believe, you took a break from the NBA to focus on being with your family, which is obviously hugely important. Are you able to briefly discuss the coaching background that you've had and then your future aspirations, please, Mario? Uh, coach has been fantastic. Uh, got the chance to work for some great coaches, Popovich, Rick Carlisle, PJ Avery Johnson. All fantastic coaches. Got a chance to work with some great players. Uh, Monte Ellis, who I got as a young rookie at Golden State. Me and him working three hours after practice and to see the player he is today. And we still keep in contact with each other. Uh, me and Avery Johnson won a championship together. And I uh, got a chance to coach with him in Dallas and in New Jersey slash Brooklyn, who I think is a fantastic coach. Got a chance to work with Rick Carlisle, 
I mean, I got to watch Dirk Nowitzki, Jason Terry shoot against each other at practice, two of the greatest shooters I ever seen. Yeah. And I got a chance to work with Jason Terry. And the year I was there working with him, he got sixth man of the year. So that was fantastic. I mean, I love the game. I love everything about the game. And uh, to leave coaching, to spend time with my family was a difficult decision, but I felt it was the right decision. Just being able to take my kids to school, uh, watch them play basketball, volleyball, soccer, uh, just to be watching them do that stuff, being able to support my wife, go to go to charity dinners with her. So just the little things you miss. I definitely want to get back into coaching, but I'm glad I took this two years off to put in my family time. You know, I'm a dad first and a husband first before I'm a coach. That's very important, of course. It goes without saying pretty much, but uh, thank you again for reflecting on your time as a coach thus far and, and what may be in the future. Uh, now, it's been an absolute pleasure to have a chance to chat with you today and particularly for this length of time. Thank you very much and thanks for being so open and accommodating and good luck. hope that you do secure a well-deserved spot at a head coaching position in the not-too-distant future. Thanks again, Mario. Adam, thank you. You're fantastic, brother. Keep up the good work. I'm going to make it down under, man. That's one of my two places. I've been all over the world. You have. Asia and Australia are my two places before God takes me is where I want to go. So if I make it down there, brother, I'm going to look you and Andrew up, okay? Okay. I'll definitely hold you to that. I really appreciate it. But thanks again, and uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Thanks, Mario. Thank you, Adam. Take care, buddy. Thanks for listening. I welcome your interaction with the show. You can suggest topics or guests that you'd like to hear conversations with. You can leave me a voicemail. Simply visit inallearnest.com slash voice. Click start recording, leave a message and press stop. You can even listen back before you submit it. Press send and you're done. Time now to share some more great feedback from fans of the show. Here are the next two reviews in chronological order. I'll read more in future episodes. Last episode, I thanked Corey Williams for a review titled The Best Podcast on the History of Basketball. That, in fact, was from Dan in Canada. So apologies, Dan, that was your review, which was fantastic. Corey, the review that you submitted was called Best Podcast on Jordan and the Historical NBA. Sorry about that. I made a complete mess of that one. So Corey writes, I never miss a podcast episode of In All Annis. Adam does an excellent job at interviewing NBA legends and coaches. The reviews on Jordan's games are detailed and bring back memories of my teen years. I wish I would have thought of doing this podcast four years ago. So thank you, Corey, for that. And again, apologies, Dan from Canada, who wrote the excellent review that I mentioned last week. The next review is from TW7386. Now, I'm very confident that's not your real name. Now, it's on the USA store in iTunes, and it's titled Great Podcast on a Great Time in the NBA. It used to be the case with baseball, but the NBA has taken over as the league with the most knowledgeable fan base regarding the league's history, particularly its golden age of the 80s and 90s. I have so much fun reliving these times with the players that Adam is able to get on this show. I must listen. So thank you, TW, for that. Really appreciate it. Worldwide. The show currently has 48 reviews, 45 on iTunes and 3 on Stitcher. Thanks for your continued support. If you do add a review, I'd love to read it out on a future episode. Your ratings and reviews are one of the best ways to support this podcast. And if you enjoy the show, please tell a friend about it. Word of mouth recommendations are worth their weight in gold. 
You can subscribe to my show in various ways. iTunes, visit inallearnest.com slash review. Add it to your Stitcher playlist, inallearnest.com slash Stitcher. And you can also subscribe on Player FM, TuneIn Radio, Pocket Casts and other podcatchers. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues, inallearnest.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at inallearnest. Please add your like to the show's social hub, facebook.com slash inallearnest. Join me next time for another edition of the show.